Very exciting Sunday. Our pastor Xiang is giving a message. He chose a very long passage, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. It's only three verses. This is God's word. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on my high places. Surely the grass withers, and indeed the flowers do fade, but thanks be to God, the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, before I get started, uh, we do have a couple newcomers. We have Calvin and Michelle. Could you raise your hand for us so we know where you are? They are back there, all the way in the back left corner. Can we give them a warm welcome? We also have Isaac and Julie. Can you guys also raise your hand so we know where you're at? They're right here in the middle. Welcome, guys. Uh, glad you can join us for worship this morning. Um, before I start, uh, I, I do wanna, I, I did this for 9 a.m. I do wanna give you guys just a heads up, uh, a prayer for me, please. Um, as some of you guys know, the past year and a half, I've been struggling with uh, pretty severe panic and anxiety. Um, kind of came out of nowhere, right? And, and I wasn't expecting it, but I've been really just working my way back and I had to take a ministry break um, and I came back this past March. And this is my first sermon since November of 2021, right? So if you guys can just keep me in your prayers and also be patient with me as I um, go through this and this is part of my recovery process. Um, and if any of you guys you know, ever wanna talk, need, you know, need some, some, someone to hear you out in, in your struggle with anxiety or panic, uh, please, feel free to reach out to me. Um, <clears throat> let me just pray for us briefly before we start. Father, we thank you for you are good. Um, we thank you that you use uh, weak uh, and imperfect people to do your work. And so um, may you use me today, this morning. Uh, I am weak, but you are strong, uh, Father. And I am imperfect, but you use my imperfection for your perfect work. And so would you uh, deliver your word uh, through me, uh, your servant this morning, and may your people be blessed uh, for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so a few years ago, Rebecca and I jumped on the bad ban bandwagon to buy a home in this crazy post-COVID market. See, it was about the fifth house that we checked out. It basically had everything that we were looking for. It had a garage, it had ample parking spaces, it had a backyard, and it also had three bedrooms in the upper level. And then the layout and the structure of the house was exactly what we're looking for. They were great, right? But as is the case with many homes, much of the house needed renovation. Each section of the house was different paint, right? The kitchen was yellow, living room was pink, and the basement was blue when we first saw it. And each of the bedrooms were yellow, pink, and blue, right? So that's not happening, right? That's not happening. And the toilets were like the squatty potty round and short from the 80s. The, the light fixtures are the super yellow, like sunshine kind of old lighting. Right? You have the carpet that reeked of the previous family that lived in it. And Rebecca was pregnant at the time, so she couldn't stand the smell of the house. And the appliances, at least some of them were from the 90s. Right? If you remember the electric stove that has the coil on top, right? you guys remember that? That's what the house had. So obviously, right, it needed a lot of work. So one by one, 
my uncle, who was a contractor, tore out the carpets from top to bottom, threw out the old toilets, the vanities, stripped the paint, removed the appliances, and uninstalled the old light fixtures. And at one point, right, the entire house was so stripped that it was unrecognizable from when we first saw it. But I got to check out the house after all the new floors, the lights, the appliances, the vanities, the toilets were installed, along with new paint, and it felt like one of those HGTV shows where they show you the before and then the after, right? And then at the unveiling, you know, you see people crying because it's so beautiful, right? Obviously, we didn't cry. The only thing that was crying was our bank account, but it, it made me want to move in ASAP, right? It made me want to move into the house ASAP. Why am I sharing this? You know, because in a similar way, the Bible tells us that God is also working in us to make us new. As a matter of fact, he is in the business of renovating our hearts. You see, God's desire is to make us more and more like him, more beautiful by the day, as he teaches us to die to our old selves, to our sins, so that we can now grow in godliness, in righteousness, and in our love for others as we learn to become secure in the love of the Father. But as we will see, right, much of this happens through the grueling, tough work of breaking down, tearing apart, stripping away our old false sense of love, security, and power and the things that we've been holding on to, whatever they may be. In other words, God's work of renovation happens through the pain, suffering, and trials we experience in our lives. And as we see in our passage today, in seasons of suffering, God does his best renovative work in our hearts. Let me say that one more time. In seasons of suffering, God does his best renovative work in our hearts as he seeks to, number one, reveal our faith, number two, refine our faith, and number three, renew our faith. So number one, reveal our faith. Knowing the background is pretty crucial to understanding this passage. You see, Habakkuk is a prophet living in some terrible times in Israelite history. The kingdom is divided into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom at this point has been completely wiped out, demolished, destroyed, and exiled by the Assyrians. And now in Judah, where Habakkuk is ministering, is ruled by wicked kings promoting idol worship. And he himself is surrounded by corrupt people who so abandoned God that in the name of their idols, they, uh, they committed unspeakable sins like child sacrifice. Right? They sacrificed their children to these false idols. So living in the midst of such chaos, much of the book is a back and forth between Habakkuk and God, with Habakkuk complaining and God responding to Habakkuk. So the book starts with Habakkuk's complaint to God as he asks him, so God, are you gonna do something about all of this wickedness and corruption that I see around me? You know, I thought you were a God of justice. So where are you at? And God responds and says that he will bring about justice by allowing the destruction and exile of Judah through the rise of the powerful Babylonians, right? All of the evil and the wickedness will be wiped out, but by the Babylonians. And this is a problem because in response, Habakkuk complains again, saying, that's how you're gonna bring justice? by using even more wicked and violent outsiders to wipe out your people, our nation? And God responds to Habakkuk again by reassuring him that the Babylonians too will be destroyed. They will be judged in their time and that the righteous people of God, his people, will prevail. They will have victory. But let's take a step back, right, from this story. And right off the bat, 
doesn't this exchange between God and Habakkuk remind us of what we do when we find ourselves in tough seasons of life? You know, Habakkuk got so tunnel vision by his own sense of right and wrong that he questions God and his ways of doing things because things weren't going the way that he wanted. You see, by complaining, Habakkuk is basically saying, God, you know, if I were you, I actually wouldn't have done it this way. I wouldn't write my story like this. You actually think you're making the wrong move. Are you really just? Are you really righteous? Doesn't this sound familiar? Right, when we experience difficult seasons in life, when things aren't going our way, when we don't get the things that we want, or when things that we treasure are taken from us, how do we respond? Don't we find ourselves buried in anger and bitterness, growing in despair and self-pity? Woe is me. Woe is my life. You know, we feel like this isn't fair or this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I signed up for in life or feeling like we don't deserve this or better yet, we deserve better. Maybe we don't say this straight up. Maybe we're not shaking our fists at God and protesting. But behind every grumbling, Every complaint is a heart that struggles to trust in the Lord and in his plans for our lives. But the thing is, it's actually hard, harder to see this when things are going well, when we have everything that we need and we lack nothing. But you see, in God's wisdom, his infinite divine wisdom, he uses seasons of suffering to challenge and reveal our faith. Have you ever seen cars drive at night? without their headlights on? You know, maybe you were one of those people who drove from like, you know, Centerville all the way to Alexandria and you realize, you know, you didn't have your headlights on this entire time, right? Or you're one of those people who, who get irate at the people who, you know, drive with their headlights off, right? And you're just like, you idiots or something like that. I don't know what you say. But do you ever wonder why? Have you ever wondered why they don't realize that, th that their headlights are off? Have you ever wondered? Well, it's because their surroundings are lit, right? So when you're traveling on the road, your, your surroundings are lit by other headlights from other cars, the street lights, the lights from other buildings. But I guarantee you that if they drive off into a dark, isolated road, they'll quickly realize that their light has been off this, this entire time. If you've driven, ever driven on Clifton Road at night, you'll, re, you'll quickly realize you need your headlights or you're not gonna survive that drive. In a similar way, right, God allows us to go through dark roads, dark moments in life to show us that we've been blinding, tr blindly trusting in other things to light our paths in life. You see, if you're someone who finds love and security in the approval and acceptance of other people, you will be devastated. You will be devastated when someone has a problem with you, when there are tensions in your relationships with other people. Or if you're someone who finds comfort in having control over your life, planning your family, career, and financial goals to the T, you will be anxious and you will be in despair when things don't go the way that you wanted it to, when crisis hits or you get laid off. You see, in his renovative work, God allows us to experience hardships in order to reveal what we've been placing our trust in, which otherwise we couldn't see before, right? He brings it out. Now, you know, wanting good relationships with other people, wanting to plan your life, they're not bad things. They are not bad things, but they are not things to stake our lives on. And that's what God is telling us. 
they're not worth your life, right? They cannot save you. They do not deliver on what they promise. So by exposing our faith in the shallow, fleeting, fading things of this world, he wants to show us that he alone, right, God alone is trustworthy and that his ways are a whole lot better than anything that we can ever imagine. So let me ask you this morning, what has God shown you through seasons of suffering? Have you found yourself growing in bitterness, anger, perhaps apathy? Have you found yourself constantly discontent, grumbling, complaining, protesting your life? If that's you, perhaps God is showing you that you don't trust him as much as you thought you did. Maybe you've strayed too far from God towards your idols, and he's calling you back to himself. Because you see, God reminds us that even in our suffering, he makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes in our, even in our suffering. He knows exactly what he's doing by revealing our faith so that he can refine it. And this brings us to our second point. God uses suffering to refine our faith. So despite his complaints, the harsh reality for Habakkuk is that things are gonna get much worse before they get better. See, the nation and the people that he loves, his neighbors, they will all be wiped out. They will all be exiled. Nothing's gonna be the same. Everything's going to change and things will be in ruined in a few years' time. But fast forward to our passage today and how does Habakkuk now respond to this coming suffering? He says, you know, in, in this beautifully put, poetic way, he says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. You see, what Habakkuk is saying here is important, because to have no figs, fruit, produce, vegetation, cattle, sheep, and goats in that culture means that they will be deprived of everything from life's luxuries to basic necessities. Basically, Habakkuk will go poor. He will go hungry in a few years' time. And yet, how does Habakkuk respond? He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And we have to ask, right? We have to ask, what happened to this complaining, pessimistic Debbie Downer, right? As a matter of fact, how can anyone rejoice in situations like these? Well, we see that something happens in between God's response to Habakkuk's complaints to his present realization. You see, there's a change in Habakkuk as we see God speak to his heart. And one crucial thing that God says in chapter two, verses four, is that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. In other words, God assures Habakkuk that no matter how bad things may get in his life, no matter what pain or evil may come upon him, God will never forsake or abandon those who trust in him. See, no, no matter what happens, God is saying to Habakkuk, you will rise again and you will live, my child even through all of the chaos and all of the destruction that you will experience. So it is at this point, Habakkuk's sleepy spiritual eyes are open wide awake to see that though he may not always have life's necessities or luxuries, it's okay. It's okay. 
and he can still have joy because the God who is sovereign, wise, and faithful has promised to be with him through all of the ups and downs. The situation is still terrible and difficult and harsh, but we see Habakkuk's character begin to grow as he finds contentment, joy, and peace, not in the necessities, not in the luxuries, but in the Lord. So you see, this is a glimpse of how God works in our hearts. Through seasons of suffering, when we lose things or people that we love, when our health fails us, when we experience much sin and brokenness in life, God, as our loving Father, uses it to shape and purify our hearts. A Presbyterian minister by the name of J.R. Miller once said this in regards to suffering. He says, it is always painful, always painful, but we know that the object of our Father is our good. The correction in us of things that are wrong and bringing out in us of qualities of divine beauty which otherwise would not be developed. In other words, God uses suffering to refine our faith, slowly drawing out and removing the contaminants of idols of our hearts so that we can grow in our faith to readily trust and obey him even in the most difficult seasons of life. He is building us up to be ready for whatever may come. You know, as I shared in the beginning, you know, this past year for me was by far the hardest year of my life, like ever. <laughs> in my state of repeated panic attacks and severe anxiety that I couldn't shake off, that affected me physically and mentally, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work, I couldn't drive, I couldn't take care of my newborn daughter, and I couldn't even do ministry. You know, at some point, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I had felt like my identity was stripped away from me. I felt like a shell of myself. But before this, I felt like things were going well at church, work, school, and I, I was excited to be a father until everything flipped upside down for me. And so for the first time in a long time, I found myself being very angry at God, frustrated at why this had to happen, and confused by the timing of it all. Right? I was so hopeless in despair I didn't know how I was gonna make it to the next day just because my panic attacks were so bad. So I tried everything to try to fix myself, right? But when nothing seemed to be working to fix this, I went to the Lord in his word and in prayer through the book of Psalms and passages like this really spoke to me. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden onto the Lord for he will sustain you. And the one thing I realized is that I was terrible at doing this, casting my burden onto the Lord. I actually didn't know how because I realized that my faith was in my own abilities. Ability to balance an overwhelming amount of duties and responsibilities between school, church, and work. Ability to problem solve my way through anything in life, any issues, any roadblocks. Having plan A, B, C, just in case plan A didn't go according to, according to plan. And the ability to con maintain control over everything in my life. So I had to be 100% engaged and in control of work, school, church, family. I felt as though I was invincible, that I could do anything, that nothing could stop me. But God, but God who knows me and loves me, broke me, not only to see that my faith in him wasn't as strong as I thought it was, but actually that my faith was in myself. Even doing ministry, right? Isn't that the ultimate irony? You, you're called by God to do ministry for his glory, and yet I find myself doing ministry on my own 
accord on my own strength for my own glory. So for the first time in a long time, right, I began to pray earnestly, asking the Lord just to help me get through a day. It's because it was just so difficult um, with how, how much it was impacting me. And I felt myself and my faith becoming childlike once again, learning to throw myself to, in the arms of my father. So in hindsight, right, so in hindsight, looking back, now I can see what it took to break down this stubborn, prideful heart to start trusting in God again. Now, I'm not gonna lie, things are still hard. You know, the fact that I'm standing up here speaking to you guys itself is a miracle. But you know, I see God's work in refining my faith like never before. To find joy in just being a son to my heavenly father without having to prove to be something or someone. To learn to cast all my worries and burdens onto the broad shoulders of my father to trust in him with my life, despite things not working out the way that I wanted to. So let me ask you this morning, how has God been working in your heart through seasons of suffering? Can you see God's grace in your suffering? You see, God's grace not only reveals the weakness of our faith, but it does so in order to strengthen it to help us realize that there is no lasting joy, peace, hope, and love apart from the very source itself, God. You know, when was the last time you found joy despite things not going the way that you wanted? When was the last time you were content even though you didn't get everything you wanted? If that's you, if you've been struggling with it, God is calling us, God is calling you to find your joy and your contentment in him. And as we continue to struggle through suffering, as we learn to grow through them, I pray that the question of our hearts will no longer be, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? But rather, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in me? How are you changing me? How are you working in me? Because you see, God is actively working and he is renovating our hearts every single second to make us new, using even the bad, the evil, the, the hard for our own good. And this brings us to our last point, number three, renew our faith. In the last verse of this book, we see this re-energized Habakkuk as he proclaims, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And whereas he felt hopeless and helpless in his situation before, he now, finds confidence knowing that he is in the hands of the sovereign, faithful God who is working even evil, hardships, and suffering for his own good. One scholar puts it best when he says, Habakkuk, who starts in depression and doubt as to God's righteousness and justice, ends with a lively confidence in God's provision and sustaining power. So you see, as he finds his joy and his grounding in the Lord, there's now a skip in his step. Right? There's this confidence and swag that wasn't there before. And so we see that suffering has this renewing effect on our faith, not only giving us a greater capacity to trust in the Lord, but also giving us the strength not just to survive, but thrive in seasons of suffering. And this doesn't mean, right, that we pretend like 
things aren't hard. We, we live in ignorance of the realities of, of suffering. Right? We can acknowledge that things are hard, but also have confidence that God will carry us through. And we know that our God is trustworthy. And we know that he would always come through. And we know that he will always walk with us. And we may ask, how do we know this? What's the evidence? Because he loves us in such a way that he was willing to allow his own son to experience the ultimate suffering of judgment on the cross for our sins, dying in agonizing death that none of us could handle so that we would be saved from our sins of unbelief and idolatry. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, Christ suffered willingly and persevered through his painful mission with what? With joy to save rebellious, wicked people like us. So knowing that we have a savior, right, who considered it a joy to take away our worst suffering by suffering for us, how can we not trust him? How can we not place our faith in the one who would give his life for us? How can we not follow him, even if it means sharing in his suffering, knowing that we will be with this loving, gracious God for eternity? So I hope, I hope that our confidence will not come from who we are or what we possess or what we've done, but from who our Savior is. Because fact of the matter is, suffering and hardship will strike us, strike all of us in this room at some point in our lives. It is an inevitable fact in this fallen, broken world. And there will be many times when it might be hard to understand why things happen the way they do. But I hope, as a church, that we learn to trust in the Lord, that we trust that he knows exactly what he's doing, we trust that he has our best interest in mind, and therefore, that we'll come to embrace seasons of suffering, not resisting it, not running away from it, but to embrace it, finding peace even in the midst of chaos, and joy even in the midst of disappointment knowing that our God is at work every single second of our lives. And a couple practical things that I realized in my journey over the past year and a half that may be of help is, uh, number one, uh, if you're going through seasons of suffering and hardship, I would highly encourage you to read and pray through the book of Psalms. See, the book of Psalms is a treasure trove of rich prayers that we cannot adequately express in our suffering. It gives us the words to pray to the Lord, it, it really gives us the emotions, the, the, the verbiage for the emotions and the pain that we feel, and God seeks to encourage us, to empathize with us, and to really grow us through the book of Psalms. So if you ever get a chance, and you know, it doesn't have to be in your seasons of suffering, but I would highly, highly recommend going through the book of Psalms that God has really graciously given to us in, to endure through times like these, when, when things are tough. Number two, Please share in your suffering with your fellow brothers and sisters in this church, in this community. As the body of Christ united by his blood, you're not meant to bear burdens on your own. We're 
called to do this together. And one of the most encouraging things um, that I experienced the past year is just how loved I am, how supported and encouraged I am by my brothers and sisters, many of whom are in this room. You know, and I thank everyone, right? Just, if I thank God for everyone that they use, he used them to get me through the toughest seasons of my life. But, you know, even though I felt like a failure at times, uh, they encouraged me and they lifted me up. And, and so um, I would highly encourage you, right? You're not alone. Please, you know, seek counsel or a listening ear. Um, you know, any of us, even on the pastoral staff, we're, we are willing to listen to your story and really be there for you. So share in your suffering. In closing, may we come to know the love of the Father through tough, difficult seasons, anchoring ourselves in the faithful, sacrificial love of Christ and trusting God's process of renovation in our hearts as he seeks to reveal, refine, and renew our faith for his glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God who is with us, walking alongside us, living in us, and changing us through every season of our lives. We acknowledge that life is hard, and sometimes it feels like trials and suffering that surround us are too much to handle. But you remind us this morning that you are there even in our suffering, and that our suffering is not meaningless or random, but you use them to reveal, refine, and renew our faith so that we would be made stronger and steadfast, learning to anchor our trust in our Heavenly Father who loves us with such love that, that sent your own son to suffer and die so that we would be delivered and live. In light of this gospel reality, help us to submit our idolatrous, prideful hearts to you, and in turn, would you make us childlike once again in our faith, trusting you with all of our hearts in every season. We pray all of this in your precious son's name. And at this time, let's all rise in response to God's word.